Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and risen Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As Pastor Thomas said at the beginning, I am Pastor Eric Kenall with the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. I bring you greetings from all your brothers and sisters there, and I have the distinct opportunity to walk alongside the leadership team here at St. Paul's as they consider the expansion of God's vineyard in this place, of the things that bear good fruit to the community and to the world in your name, through you, and to those around us. You have an incredible leadership team. They have worked to tell the next generation and built that magnificent school. And now we continue that process as the verse continues to tell the wonders that God has done. The wonders of his kingdom. The miracles of lives changed as we heard this morning through Lutheran school, through worship, through baptism through the gifts of God. And we come to a rather interesting text today in order to engage that conversation. A text that tells a wonder that God has done. But maybe in a roundabout sort of way. If you were listening closely, you heard today the words of our lessons are rather harsh words, rather stark words. We're used to uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who speaks kind and mysterious words of praise or of warning. Not today. Today, Jesus doesn't mince words. Today, Jesus tells a parable that barely veils its meaning instead of one that you have to ponder for hours. A parable that comes from the words of our first reading in Isaiah as he talks about the vineyard that God had planted that didn't fulfill its calling. Jesus now tells about that same vineyard in a little different story. But to understand why his words are stark and harsh, we have to understand the context. You see, previously, Jesus had three years to tell the mysteries of God, to encourage, to coax, to cause people to wonder. The beginning of this chapter of our gospel lesson is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The cleansing of the temple in his divine anger. Jesus doesn't have time. He knows that Friday will be his last day to teach, to proclaim, to convince them of the truth. And that maybe, just maybe, it's not too late. This is no time for subtlety. This is no time for hidden meaning. So going back to Isaiah 5, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard who is rented to tenants And then the master goes away. And when the season comes for the fruit and the harvest and the return of that harvest, he sends a servant who is beaten, another who is murdered, another who is stoned. And we wonder. To be honest, I don't wonder about the tenants. Because we live in that same world where people will take advantage of a situation, where people will refuse to pay their rent, where people will squat in an apartment, where people will take advantage of a business. Those stories are abundant and our world is filled with them and you know them and I know them. While the tenants are distasteful, 
they're not particularly surprising. The one who's surprising is the owner of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard who sends a servant that is beaten and sent back and thinks, you know, maybe I just need to send a better collector. And when he's killed, says, you know, maybe one more time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had an apartment and someone stopped paying rent and decided to squat there and didn't take my phone calls or return my emails, and I sent them, someone, to talk to them to collect what was my due, and they assaulted them at the door, my first thought is, I wonder if I should have sent someone better. No, my first thought is, I'm calling the police and we are getting them out. Justice will be done. I will get my due or I will get my apartment and they will go to jail. Who in the world continues to send people with the final thought that if I send someone with enough authority, maybe they'll listen? And I believe there's only one answer to that question. When someone takes advantage of you and abuses you and those around you, the only people that we put up with that from is family. When family does it, we stop and say, I don't want to call the police on my family. I don't want to call them on my cousins or brothers or sisters or nieces or nephews. I'll give them another chance. Maybe if I talk to them kindly, they'll come around. Maybe if I send someone with enough authority, they'll finally listen and shape up. With family, we act differently, and that's what God is talking about. These are not random people that he gave the vineyard to. These were the children of Abraham, the children of the covenant, the family of God. They said, God said, I will be your father and you will be my children, and, and they said, yes, and he said, then do these things. And they said, then all these things we will do. And then they didn't. But in God's eyes, that didn't make them any less family. It meant that he had to continue to love and to call and to reach and to give another chance over and over again until he sent his son thinking, if I just send one with enough authority, they'll finally listen. They'll finally give me the fruit of the vineyard which was never obedience to the law, which was always love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. And he sent his son, and Jesus stood before them and said, I've come. Now is the time. This is the last chance. Turn around. Go another way. Repent. Come back to God. Be restored to your family before you are disowned. And just like the heirs in Jesus' parable, they said, ah, here is the heir. Here is the one who will inherit this property. If we kill him, we can keep it for ourselves. There'll be no one else to claim it. And they took Jesus out of the vineyard, out of Jerusalem, and they nailed him to a cross to bleed and die so they could have the right to the vineyard for themselves. Now, the key to this parable, at least in this moment, is to remember that this is not a parable about us. When we talk about telling the wonder that God has done through this parable, this is the parable about how we became the tenants of the vineyard. You and I were not the tenants of the vineyard. We were the Gentiles. We were the others. In Hebrew, we were the lo-ami, the not-my-people. 
And God declared that those who were not his people would become his people. And not just his people, but his children. Not by keeping a covenant of rules and regulations, but by the very blood of his son shed on the cross. By the waters of baptism that would invite us in to a new kingdom, a new vineyard, a vineyard without borders, a vineyard without boundaries, a vineyard that could bear fruit all around the world. And the question for us in this season, in this moment, is that God has said the harvest is ripe. God has said the fruit is in season. We have a massive project in front of us of vineyard expansion. How will we respond when we come before God in this moment? How will we be different than those who had the vineyard before us? That's really the question because the wonder is that through this whole process, God has removed the vineyard from one and given it to others like you and me who are no more deserving of it. But will we take what we have received by grace and respond in kind? I commend to you the story of William Borden. You probably don't know the name William Borden, but if you had been born around 1900, everyone knew the name William Borden. And probably not for what you would expect. William Borden was the son of the Borden family, which owned the Borden Dairy Empire. So if you've ever eaten a Borden Dairy product, he was the son of this family, the eldest son. And as the eldest son, it was his responsibility to take over the family business, the empire. So they sent him off to Yale to get an education in business and finance so that he could run the family business. And he had the acumen for it and the temperament for it. But when he got to Yale, he found that his heart was captivated by the chapel. That he loved being with the student ministry. That he loved hearing the stories of missionaries who would come from far off places and tell the wonders of what God was doing there. And William went back to his family and said, you know what, I think God might be calling me to missions, to care for people, to share the gospel. And at first they were very polite and said, son, that's really nice. We're glad that your faith has grown and that you want to do that. But realize that you can care for people right here through this business as we're feeding people and taking care of our family. That can be your ministry. And he went back to school and he thought about it and said, no. No, I really feel the call. In fact, I feel a call to go to Near East Asia. To the Arab peoples growing up there who don't know Jesus. We were sending people to Southeast Asia and to China and to Europe and to Africa, but no one was going to the Arab peoples. And so he decided he was going to go and he told his family and they said, if you go, if you do this... We will disown you. You will have no place here. And William said, that's fine. And he took his share of the family fortune in a reverse prodigal son moment and gave it to the mission association, to the chapel at Yale, and to the church they belong to, a million dollars. Today, that would be the equivalent of $30 million. He gave away everything except just enough money to fund his own mission trip to the Arab peoples of the Near East. He gave it all away. And they thought he was 
crazy. And he got on a boat and he sailed to Cairo where he would go and learn Arabic so that he could reach the people, this tribe that he had heard of, this group of people he had in mind. And there, about a month into his studies, he contracted spinal meningitis. And two weeks later, he died. What a horrible sermon story. (laughs) That didn't go where I thought it was going to go when I heard it. But this was Jesus' story. Jesus, this rabbi, Jesus, this teacher, this healer, this miracle worker who had divested himself of the fortune of heaven and all of its glory and splendor and had come in human flesh to people like you and me who didn't come in his power and his glory and his might. And as they watched him hanging on that cross and bleeding and dying, his disciples and the crowd thought, what a waste. What a waste of life. He could have been the greatest rabbi in Israel's history. He could have healed all the sick. He could have fed all the hungry. He could have raised us to prominence. And here he is bleeding and dying. How does this make any sense at all? It was what... Paul's peer group thought. Paul tells us that he was the best of the best. He was the best student of the best teacher, Gamaliel, in all of Israel. He was on the fast track to the Sanhedrin, to wealth, and to power. He would have been a prominent player in Israel's history. And as they looked at him, he became this poverty-stricken, tent-making, itinerant preacher going around the Gentile countries, wasting his life. Our ways are not God's ways. God's ways and God's wisdom are higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. As they were packing up William Borden's things, his one suitcase, all of his possessions left in life, they found his Bible. And in his Bible, when he opened it, out fell a bookmark on which he had written six words. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. He declared in his journal that when he studied the life of Jesus, he saw the life of one who had given up everything for us, who didn't hedge his bets or keep a reserve to be safe, who laid his whole life and trust in the Father's hands. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Even his hometown rejected him. Jesus had to go forward to the cross. There was no other option. Failure was not an option. Retreat was not an option. And for William Borden, it wouldn't be either. There would be no family estate to go back to, no house in the country or the beach. Only forward, only to the mission, only to expand the vineyard. The Apostle Paul says at the end of the letter that leaving all things behind, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. I don't know about you, when I read that, I think about leaving all the bad stuff behind. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul says, I leave the fame behind. I leave the fortune behind. I leave all of the things I could have had that were good in the world's eyes behind. And I lay my life wholly in God's hands to do with what he will. 
And when you live a life like that, that makes no sense to the world, God honors it. You see, William Borden never got to the people that he was going in mission to, but a newspaperman found his story and those six words and published in an AP story that went coast to coast in our nation, the story of William Borden, who had no reserves and no retreat and no regrets. And it inspired a generation. And the Near East Asian countries became the primary mission field for an entire generation inspired. Tens of thousands of people went into mission in the very area where he was going to be one man trying to reach one tribe. And the gospel began to take root and nations began to change because he dared to have the audacity to walk away from it all and say, God, use my life however you will. And God said, then I'll use it to inspire a generation. Paul said, God, use my life however you will. And he used it to plant a church that went global. Jesus said, Father, use my life however you will. And God used it to redeem sinners like you and me from sin and death and the grave and make us his children and give us a place in his vineyard. How will we respond to a God who is this gracious, who is this audacious, who is this incredible? Will we lift up to him our plans and hedge our bets and say, God, you know that I know, we know what I have, but here's my plan and I want you to honor it? Or will you lay your life in his hands and say, God, for you, in this moment, no reserves. I hold nothing back that you ask. Will you go to him in prayer and do whatever he asks you to do, no matter how audacious, trusting that what he can do going forward is exceedingly abundantly more than you could have ever done in your own wisdom? Will you allow failure to not be an option? No retreat, no going back. If St. Paul's as a community and each and every family here as individuals do that, we will stand before the Father with no regrets, seeing the incredible work that he's done in our lives and through us to bless the whole community around us. May God bless you as you take time to consider how you will walk with him. In Jesus' name, amen.